Good morning. Uh, thanks for your patience. This was a, an odd experience this morning, and I'm grateful for Sam and you all that you could wait a few minutes so that I could be here to start the service with you. So yesterday, my family and I, we went to Oslin Christmas Tree Farm out in Singers Glen. Have any of you gotten a tree there before? Yeah, some of you. Okay, we had a great time. We saw the Fornickers. We saw Faith and Darren Woodward and Wilson and Callie, their first trip out to the Christmas tree farm. And we saw the Cooks and we saw Eva. We saw all of our favorite people in the church, um, except one or two. And uh, this year, the Christmas tree farm added a food truck which was a glorious addition. And so uh, Shay and I got bratwurst, and uh, Silas got hot chocolate, and Shelby got a funnel cake, because who doesn't get a funnel cake at 10.30 or 11 in the morning? And Janelle decided to pass. She was too good for this. But by the end of the morning, she was asking me how the bratwurst tasted. And um, we trekked our way out into the fields, and we had our traditional search for the tree, argument over which tree, lots of anger and tension. At one point, Shay's running through the trees. She trips. She eats it, bratwurst on her head. Silas is the only one who sees it, who just howls with laughter, which helps all of the tension and all of the conflict. We eventually cut down the tree, put the giant 10-foot tree on our um, truck, put the little Charlie Brown tree that we got for Spencer because she's in her own apartment now, put it in the truck. It doesn't require straps on the hood. And um, we made our way home. And uh, then we got all the Christmas ornaments and decorations out of the garage. And I pushed play on my Advent pre-Christmas playlist, um, which is very carefully curated set of songs. I'm waiting on certain songs, and if you expose them to me, you will definitely be on the not my favorite person at incarnation list. Those songs are not on this list, but other songs are on this list. And we started setting up the tree. Then last night we ordered pizza, and we started watching The Lord of the Rings, and it's so dang long. We um, did one disc last night. We'll try to carry on nights ahead. Now, all of this to say, I love Christmas. Janelle tolerates it, but she's growing in grace and wisdom and the knowledge of our Lord. So she's getting better on that as the years passed. And I can't believe it's only 19 days till Christmas and that we're already on the second Sunday of Advent. Now, as we prepare for Christmas, as we get ready to celebrate the incarnation, the birth of of Jesus Christ, the enfleshment of God himself. Part of our preparations, in addition to getting a Christmas tree and doing whatever decorations you do and listening to some music, not, not all of it, and figuring out how to do all of this in the midst of a pandemic where we have a responsibility to not contribute to the spread of the virus. Wouldn't it be terrible if Christians contributed to the spread of a deadly virus because of their Christ Christmas traditions. So figuring all of this stuff out, in addition to all of those things we've got to do to get ready, I hope that part of what you're doing is taking an honest look at your life and opening wide your heart to receive all over again the Lord Jesus Christ. 
our Old Testament reading for this morning. We read it every year in Advent. This great passage from Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord. Get it ready. Prepare the way. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what we Christians do during Advent. We're, we're looking into our own hearts. We're doing things so that um, the kind of crooked paths are straightened out so that God's got a clean shot into our hearts and into our lives. And this morning, our psalm helps, helps us to kind of turn back to God, to open wide our hearts to God. It, it's especially helpful for any who you suddenly find that you have walked away from God. This is a great psalm for coming home to God. It's a prayer. It's this outstanding prayer that we can pray all the time. We can pray during Advent. It's an Advent prayer, a prayer for, for us to open up our lives to God. And it's especially relevant for those who've fallen away from God. And things are not good. And you need to return to God. So if you've got a Bible near you, and I hope you do, please grab a hold of it, whether it's yours or your neighbor's, and find Psalm 85. Look, if you don't know the Bible well, here's a trick. Uh, you just put your thumbs in the middle of the Bible, and most likely you end up at the Psalms. If not, scoot around to the right or left, and you'll find them. Then find the 85th Psalm. Let's all find it, all of us who've got copies of the Bible. Um, Psalm 85. And we're going to look at this remarkable passage. So, if you've fallen away from God, here's a prayer. Here's a way you can come back home. Or if you're doing fine with God, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture that can help you practice Advent. Take stock of your own life during the season of preparation, and you can use it yourself to call on God, to open wide your heart. All right, Psalm 85. We're going to learn from this prayer that there are basically Three simple steps to reaching out to God, to coming home to God. Three simple sections of a prayer. Verses 1 to 3 are the first section. Verses 4 to 7 are the second. And verses 8 to 13. We're just going to walk our way right through them. In the first part of the prayer, verses 1 to 3, this is the first thing to do in your prayer when you're trying to come home to God. Number one, Remember to God his favor in the past. And yes, if you were here a week ago, I have stolen this from Wilson. It was so good. I've been struck by it, and it fit this psalm too. Remember to God his favor in the past. If you've fallen away from God, this is where you start when you want to come home to him. You start by saying to him, by remembering to him things he's done in the past that have been really good. So look at verse 1. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your anger. So the people who, had, who originally wrote this prayer and crafted it over centuries, think about what they're saying when they were praying this. They were thinking back to, to God's great work in the Exodus and other moments in their life as a nation, and other moments in their life as individuals, and they were saying them to God. They were remembering them to God. So to come back home to God, they prayed. They begin their prayers by saying, there was this time in the past where, man, you were good. Man, you were powerful. Man, you blessed us, and you restored us, and you favored us, and you forgave us. 
And you backed off from punishing us. Now, you and I, we can do that. We can look back. I mean, we should definitely look way back to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And we should remember that to God. We should remember that to God. In the Lord, you were favorable. You did restore the fortunes of Jacob. You did forgive the iniquity of your people. You did cover all their sin. You did withdraw your wrath. You did turn from your anger. That is a, an amazingly accurate description of what God did in the crucifixion. And if you're not super clever at telling God how powerful the crucifixion was, just take those three verses and say them to God, knowing that you're describing exactly what he did on the cross. You did that, God, and call it to mind. And I remember that to you, God. I'm remembering what you did on the cross. That's the first step in your prayer. Remember and review and talk about the glorious kindness and mercy and faithfulness and love that God poured out in Jesus in the crucifixion, his incredible mind-boggling victory over the forces of death and evil on the cross. And, but you don't have to stop there. That's definitely the place to start. But you should then also remember other times in your life that he's given you great favor for me. As I've been praying this psalm all week, I remember to God when I was 17 years old, and I had spent two years flaunting his ways, disobeying him, choosing to honor myself in my own selfishness and my own search for my own security and pleasures in life. And I remember how at 17, he began to discipline me and I asked him to stop and I opened my heart to him and he did. And he was so kind and he backed off. And I can remember this week as I've been praying the psalm, I remember to him that he saved my life this summer. And I remember the miracle of this morning as I'm praying the psalm, I was remembering the miracle of what God has just done in our church's life. In, in the most difficult year of our church, when we've, when we've given away and sent out more people than we've ever sent out before, when we've not even worshipped together hardly at all since, since the spring. In the midst of all of this, we raised so much more than Ed and I thought we would really pour off. We were begging God and, and calling out to God for $3 million, and we're almost there. We've even gotten more than, we've, than it's written in your worship guide. More money has even come in since then. We're so close. That's where you start in your prayer to God when you need to come back to him. You remember his favor in the past. Next, we get verses 4 to 7. Very simple. Ask him to save you right now. Listen to these verses. Restore us again, O God. O God of our salvation, put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Do you see what they've done? They switched from remembering God's great work in the past to saying, holy cow, we're going down. Please save us. Ask God to save you now. The people who are praying this, they've been suffering. They've been suffering so much they feel dead. They feel dead and in need of a renewal of life, a revitalization by the one who is life. Have you ever been like that? 
Are you like that now? Then very simply, turn to Jesus. Open wide your heart to him and ask him to save you, to restore you, to back off from punishing you, to release you from the painful consequences of your rebellion. Raise the white flag. Surrender to God. Call out to him. Ask him to show you his love again and his life and his salvation. Be real with him about where you are. Get in touch with the darkness and the pain and the loneliness and the fear and the failure. Open up to him about what you're going through. Are you lost? Are you suffering? Are you losing in life? Are you failing? Are you falling behind? If so, don't be afraid to welcome Christ. Please don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to welcome his power. Don't be afraid to open wide the doors of your heart to him, to his saving, to open the boundaries of your home, the vast fields of your relationships, the deep recesses of your thoughts and your hopes, your plans and your failure. Just throw the door open to him and ask him to save you. This is such a simple prayer. Look at Psalm 85 verse 4 again. This is it right here. Just say it to him. Restore me again, O God of my salvation. I was struck in our readings from the Psalms and Isaiah this week and the readings in the devotional for our church and in, in this Psalm in particular, I was struck how stupid it is of us to bow down to false gods. Right, that, that's at the end of verse 8. Let them not turn back to folly. I was struck that, you know, all through the Bible it says, don't bow down to false gods. And we read that and we think because we don't have, our culture doesn't use little statues. We think that we don't really do it. But yes, we do. Every time you give in to greed, you are bowing down to the God of money. Every time we give in to lust, we are bowing down to the goddess Aphrodite. Every time we give in to selfish, radical commitments to, to self-oriented lives, we're bowing down to the goddess Libertas. We are every bit as much guilty of idolatry as any culture in the world. We just do it differently, but we're still doing it. It's utterly foolish to bow down in obedience to gods who cannot rescue us, who cannot save us, who didn't make us, who will only enslave us. But there is one God that if we do bow down to him, he is utterly love through and through. He is love incarnate. He is love all over the God alone who is the creator and the savior. And whenever we give in to sin, it affects us, it twists us, it deforms us, it robs us of life and peace and health. And so we wake up sometimes and we're far away from God. And this prayer, Psalm 85, shows us how to come back home, how to pray. It, it, and it not only teaches us how to pray, it's a prayer. You can, you, if you can't come up with something clever on your own, just read this one and put your whole heart into it. Make it a heartfelt prayer. So first, remember to God his favor in the past. And then ask God for his salvation right now. And you would think that's it. I mean, that's pretty good right there. But what it adds next is like something I never would have thought of, but it's so good. God wrote this book. He, he's cleverer than we are. Here's the third thing. Don't stop at asking God for help. All 
always do this third thing. And this is verses 8 through 13. And here it is in a nutshell. Fill your imagination with God's powerful future salvation. Look, that's what's going on here. Look at verse 8. The person praying interrupts their prayer. And what do they say? Okay, now that I've remembered to God his great power in the past, now that I've asked him to save me now, look what he says. Now, third thing, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. You know what he's done? He's stopping and saying, now let me fill up my mind, not just my thoughts, but my heart, my affections, and my imagination, and my will. Let me fill it up with what God is going to do. Verse 8, peace. Verse 9, salvation and glory. Verses 10 through 13, where he just says, all right, if it's going to get into my imagination, i got to shift gears here and go from just normal language to poetry because that's when I start filling my imagination. And then we get one of the most beautiful poems in all of the Bible. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. And righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Do you see how he's trying to get it all the way down? He's trying to get it not just in thinking about what God's going to do, but imagining what God's going to do and loving what God's going to do. So he's filling up his imagination, his mind, his thoughts, his heart, his will. He's filling them with God's future salvation. Look at all the shapes of salvation here. Look how personal it is. I love verse 8. I highlighted it in blue in my Bible. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. Have you ever needed that? Have you ever been so wound up, so broke down, that you needed shalom to be spoken to you by the one who loves you more than anybody else so that it got down all the way in your thoughts, in your heart, in your bones? I need that. And when God does that, when God speaks his peace into my heart, into my mind, into my imagination, it calms me. So often people today are filled with doubt. A doubt that turns into despair. I beg you, turn your thoughts to Jesus and with humility and trust, let Jesus Christ speak to you. He alone has words of life, eternal life. If you open wide your heart to him, he will speak a message of peace, of hope, of salvation, of total liberation, and he will speak it all the way down into your bones. And then it, this, this salvation that he's thinking of and imagining and, and loving, it's not just personal and intimate. Look how enormous it is. It's universal. It's, it's the power of God, not just for Heather and for Aubrey and Yusuf. It's for the whole cosmos. Look at verse 11. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. That's a poetic way of saying everywhere, every square inch, all of creation, all the universe, all the cosmos. Here's, here's a vision of the whole world becoming God's holy land. 
set free at last from its slavery to corruption, flooded at last with the knowledge of the glory of God. This is a vision of God's character and God's activity filling the universe. God coming back at long last to bring his restorative, healing justice to all of the universe. Let the details of that and the colors of that and the hues of that future fill your mind and your heart and your imagination and your will. Look at verse 9. Glory may dwell in the land, not in the human heart. Right? That, that, that was verse 8. He'll speak peace into my heart. But then in verse 9, he says, but not just me in my life, but the land itself will experience. If you've ever seen a great sunset, if you've ever caught the whiff of natural beauty that makes you recognize there is this greatness, this biggerness to the world. If you've ever seen the birth of a child or a mighty redwood tree or the Rocky Mountains or the flight of an eagle, you know what Psalm 19 so splendidly declares. You know that God's glory is already known in creation, but but know this also, there is coming a greater filling, a, a new, further drenching of creation with God's presence and God's glory. None of us in the midst of 2020 imagine even for a moment that we've arrived at the ultimate new creation. So we need in our prayers to let that future reality soak into us that with the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, the new creation has broken into the world and we can sing these ancient songs with new harmonies that they couldn't even have imagined. Here we see God's salvation of humans in verse 8 and the land in verse 9, this material, physical salvation. This isn't some idealistic, idyllic, pie-in-the-sky religion. This is a salvation of humans and trees and crops. It's a salvation from anxiety and storms, and temptations. It's personal salvation, and it's community salvation, and it's salvation of nature and culture, the whole thing. The story that Christianity tells is the story of God's movement into the whole world, a movement that began in creation, enfleshed in the incarnation, fell like fire in Pentecost, and will be completed in the second coming of Christ. That is our story. It's our joy and it's our hope that God has come to us, not out of self-interest, but out of love. And so let that story fill your minds and your hearts and your imaginations and your wills so that you know in your bones and you love in your heart and you choose in your will not to move away from the world, but to move toward it. In the face of darkness, we don't gather our children, close the curtains, and wait it out. That's not what Christians have done. Not when we're at our best. We are the church. We are God's city on a hill. And so we read passages like this where God's moving out to the whole world, where he's facing all of the darkness. And we use this to gather up our courage. We are the church. We're a city on a hill. We are to nourish households. 
that are schools of virtue and love and openness and hospitality. We are an alternative community within this city, a community for the welcoming of the stranger and the healing of the sick. The church, we are a bridgehead for God's own presence in a world that has gone its own way. We are a sign that the creator does not desire escape from the world. We must be a sign that the creator recreates from within the world. He sets up a place within his creation where his glory will be revealed and his powerful judgments will be unveiled. We, the church, we are the intersection of heaven and earth. We are the sacred place where the rest of humanity and the cosmos will find its healing. The world with all of its idolatry and justice that is still wreaking misery, we are the bridgehead of what God is doing within that world. And so there we have it. A prayer for Advent. A prayer to help us prepare for Christmas. A prayer for coming home. In the midst of all your preparations for Christmas, please, I beg you, take the time to prepare your own soul your own heart. Take the time to pray Psalm 85. And as you're doing it, remember to God his favor in the past. Ask God to save us now and look to God's future salvation and let it fill your mind and your heart and your imagination and your will until you begin to work and labor in the world for God's kingdom to come. Let's pray.